Welcome to the Literature Across Frontiers series, New Voices for Europe. I'm Alexandra Buchler, and it's a pleasure to introduce these interviews with writers who came to Europe from conflict zones and made the continent their new home. We have asked them about their journey, personal and creative, and what made it possible for them to restart writing as they emerged from often difficult circumstances. Some of these interviews are presented as podcasts, others as written articles. And all are a testimony to the admirable strength of spirit and perseverance the writers have shown. Hello and welcome to the Literature Across Frontiers podcast series. I'm Marsha Links Quayley and with me today is Rami al Rami is a poet, journalist, and curator based in Berlin who has published five collections of poetry in Arabic and has two books out in English translation this year, My Heart Became a Bomb, translated by Levi Thompson, and Ever Since I Did Not Die, translated by Isis Nusser. His second collection in Arabic, In My Travel Outfit, won a prestigious prize from the Al-Qatan Foundation, Ramallah, and many of his texts have been published in anthologies and literary magazines in Bosnian, English, French, German, Kurdish, Spanish, and other translations. Some of his texts have also been translated into song, performance, and works of art. He's Palestinian and has lived in Syria and Jordan in 2014. He came to Germany with a writer's scholarship from the Heinrich Bull Foundation and in 2017, he launched the German-Arabic cultural magazine, Fen. In addition, he works as a curator for Literaturhaus Berlin, and he is a co-founder of an Arabic-German literature festival in Berlin. In 2018, he was selected as a fellow of the, in the Academy of Arts in Berlin, and he has won two, or at least two, artist-in-residency scholarships. Um, thank you so much for making the time and, and joining us here today, Rami. Thanks, Marsha. Thanks for the invitation and thanks for having me here. So I wanted to ask about your sort of your origins as a poet. I understand that you published your first collection of poetry, Sayran Ala Lahlam, or Walking on Dreams, in 2014, addressing sort of the Syrian revolution. And I wanted to know about the relationship between your origins as a poet and and what happened in Syria, whether you wrote poems before that, whether you started writing as a journalist and moved into poetry, or you writing poetry as, you know, a 10-year-old? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's a, a bit complicated. It's uh, dif- difficult to to find this line which differentiate between which time I could have started. But um, I started very early when I was a child writing um, stupid um, rhymes and rhythmic <laughs> and basically inspired by, by songs. And mm. um, this is how we started developing my rhythm and my ability to, um, to fit my words into, into um, a specific ready-made uh, rhythm. Um, then I started changing the lyrics of the songs, uh, putting my lyrics um, in a way. Um, but it was just like um, a childish uh, attempt, uh, not serious, and I wasn't thinking about it um, as a serious thing. Uh, later on, when the revolution started, I think they are together, um, my journalistic work and my 
uh, writing in a literary literary way. Um, they started together. In the beginning, they, of course, I worked as a journalist. I was covering the demonstrations and the revolution. At the same time, I was writing poems, publishing them on social media, until um, some of them became songs, um, especially for the revolution. Um, I wasn't able to publish, of course, in Syria. Later on, when I moved to Jordan, um, I published my first book, Sayran uh, al-Ahlam, Walking on Dreams, um, in a very difficult circumstances, I would say, because I lived in Jordan for two years and a half illegally, uh, with a fake name, fake passport, fake documents, because I'm Palestinian. And uh, for us, it's not possible to join Jordan. Mm. And when I already joined, uh, they put me in a prison uh, called Cyber City, which is a fun, funny name. Uh, and then I, I managed to run away out of it after four months, where I stayed in Amman. There I was able to... Of course, I'm living in a, in a fake name, but I was able to publish in my real name a book, uh, oh, my first book at that time. Um, well, poetry for me was something I didn't think about. It was always there. It was in the family. It was like a strong relation to the language, to the Arabic language, to the poetry. Um, I grew up in a family where... Um, Three or four of my uncles and aunts um, are, uh, they studied, they said, studied Arabic literature and somehow they were connected. And there's two poets actually in the family also. Uh, they were not um, well known later. Uh, they, they stuck into religious and Islamic poetry and uh, yeah, their own bubble, I would say. Um, mm. A very traditional way of understanding even literature and what the purpose of it. And um, yeah, I didn't think about it in the beginning, but later on I found myself there and I couldn't resist it. So and were later there... it became my only way of expressing myself, I would say. Mm. And then was there a certain point at which you started to see yourself as a poet? Like you began writing poetry and then saw yourself as a poet or? Well, uh, until now, I can't say it. Like, um, I see <laughs> <Okay>. myself. <laughs> okay. Because this is, I mean, of course, I find poetry is the way of um, expressing, but um, also understanding and reading the, the word. Um, even through writing, I read um, the, the surrounding and the environment around me. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's difficult for me to say that I am something. This is something I can't say it myself. I mean, other people would say. So did you, um, as a, I don't know, as a young person or a teenager, so you you were inspired by song lyrics, but were there poems or particular poets who, who whose work resonated with you as well? No, not really, actually. I was um, not, um, we call it um, a mouse of reading. I wasn't um, yeah. someone who's reading uh, like a specific kind. I mean, just what I read in school. But um, of course, I mean, in, in an environment where songs mainly um, affecting uh, your, your, your teenager life and you want to express yourself in a way like, okay, I, I, I listened to this um, verse or to this um, song and I feel like, okay, it, it talks about me, but not 100%. Mm. And what if I can 
change it what I can if I add my voice in it. And this is how I started. Fantastic. And now now you do you um you read poetry in or prose or other books mainly in Arabic or in English, in German, in, in all of the above. What what kind of access to books do you have in Berlin? Um of course, there is the online uh, library. Right. Then Berlin is not the problem. Um, I mainly read in Arabic. I also only write in Arabic. Mm. Um, and this is sometimes it's um, it's not really good because there is a lot of um, stuff are missing, not only in literature but also in, in theory and in intellectual way. I mean, there's a lot of books are not translated. And the access is limited, I would say. Mm. But um, growing up with this language and feeling fascinated toward it and uh, thinking about it, not only thinking through it, um, it, it somehow shaped my way of perceiving and expressing um, everything around me through this language. And by, yeah, of course, I would... Um, make more attempts to, to read in English, uh, especially I have a list of books I want to read and they are not available in Arabic. But um, yeah, mainly I do only read um, in Arabic. Well, mm. there is a quite good amount of translation and there is a quite good amount of um, originally written in Arabic books. But yeah, of course, I mean, I wanted um, to um, spread or widen my Horizon. Mm. And you yourself have also translated uh, literature into Arabic. I know you've <clears throat> translated some poetry by uh, Monica Rink, for example. Is is that also part of your creative process, or do you see how do you see translation as part of your writing? Well, I'm not a translator, and mm. um, I, I have to admit that I didn't translate it. 100%. I had the first draft, um, which is translate the, the meaning and the words. And then I do what they call it in German, Nachdichtung, which is mm. rewriting it into a, a poetic way. I've done it with Monika Rinka, but also with other poets. Um, and this is somehow became recently um, a style of translating. I mean, my, my German book, my first German book, um, Dogs of Memory, Hunde, was translated by Lilian Pitan, and she doesn't speak a single word in Arabic. Wow. So basically, we have the first draft, and then we together, me and her, worked on the translation. We discussed every single word, every single metaphor, every single verse. Why do you use this word or that? And mm. how do we reach and also transfer or trans um, uh, to to bring also into the other language not only the meaning and the style, um, uh, not only the meaning but also the style. I would um, I would say, yeah. Ma mainly, we always say there is some stuff are lost in translation, um, but also I learned that there is a lot of things are found in translation. So I mean, translation is a additional or another way of um, creative writing work. Right. And uh, it's not only just delivering uh, what other authors uh, said or written, but also um, deliver 
the literature and the translator's way uh, and style and language. Mm. And so do you feel like it uh, it brings something to your own work to translate in this way, to adapt? You, you learn new things about style or... Absolutely, I learn. And um, of course, when I read now my translation, I mean, I've worked with Levi Thompson since more than three years now mm. and he translated my first english book but also um i worked with him in different um, projects and i learned a lot from his uh, way of translating and way of even perceiving and expressing and i would say also the translation is much better than the original whether it's in english <laughs> or in german oh, i'm honest with that <laughs> okay <laughs> i believe you but yeah. uh i don't know I, i'll have to i'll have to see for myself yeah i mean um, you speak you speak arabic and english yes, yes. You, you could <laughs> um although i think better would be uh i don't know a hard judgment to make um, of course of course it's not a poetic <laughs> way of course of receiving and understanding poetry but it's uh yeah I mean, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with what I've written. And um, I grew up, I mean, I was like just less than 30 years old and I found myself having five books in, in Arabic and I've done a lot. But then I started realizing, ah, I need to think about it a little bit more. Maybe that was not the best way of doing it. Mm. And... Um, Later on, when you live in an exile and in a country which um, somehow bring this idea of welcoming you as a writer in exile and this kind of movement of, um, yeah, we want to be inclusive and give you a stage and um, uh, give you the freedom to continue writing and publishing and translating. Later on, I was thinking um, maybe... This is not because I'm a good writer. Maybe this mm. is just because of a trend or because of um, sympathy or because of, I don't know, charity. I don't, I don't know exactly. So I had this, um, this feeling where I need to be more careful about what, what to write and what to publish and um, rethink about everything I've done. And yeah, I mean, of course, I regret <laughs> publishing the majority of what I published but yeah without publishing them of course I won't be me now so it's kind of the right. process right well I'm, I'm sure your readers don't regret it um I, I, so I was um hosting recently a panel discussion about Arabic literature in Berlin I mean not not in person obviously it was it was on zoom but um and uh the Egyptian writer Hazim al who lives in Berlin, was talking about what he called the representation trap um, of being uh, an Arabic language author. You know that you are like the representative. You must write about the hijab, or if you're, you know, or about um, what's going on in Cairo, or you're like the representative of what's going on. And I wondered, with in increasing amounts of translation into German into English whether you've seen any shift in readers becoming more curious about Arabic literature for its, you know, beauty and resonance and um, imagination, uh, stylistic choices, or whether you find 
audiences circling the same issues interested in Arabic literature as an echo of the news? Well, this is, I think it's very early to to judge. Um, mm. Of course, I mean, I totally agree with Haytham and Wardani. Mm. Um, there is what, what he said, but I think it's in general, it's very early to judge because, um, of course, there is the curiosity to understand and to know what's happening. But this curiosity would bring um, mainly just to understand what's happening there. It's not about the literature itself. So mainly it's um, like a news, but in a, a nicer way. <laughs> right. Uh, I, a more, more uh, static. Um, way of perceiving them um, maybe people believe it also and trust it more than the, the media mm. um, but um, on the other hand there is a lot of um, um, a sh- let me let me say let me call it charity way of uh, looking at the thing in the beginning there was the orientalistic point of view now more is still there, the orientalistic part is still there, but also additional to it, there is the, yeah, we want to be good. We want to feel good. We want support. We want to help. Uh, And this helping mentality is not always um, helpful, I would say. Right, right. Uh, But it needs time. It needs time. I mean, of course, now, I mean, if you look at what is translated and how it's represented in the media, what are the commissions? Um, me, as a, as a writer in exile, I'm always asked to write about my experience, not about mm. what I want. Uh, tell us your story. Uh, write about how did you arrive to Germany. Um, so mainly you are stuck in that box where you are uh, only a refugee writer, not a writer who is a refugee Mm. so refugee comes first um and then we see but you cannot write about uh, whatever you want because uh, whatever you want there's other people who are able to do that you are not you are only able to to write about your suffering i mean it's not that unofficial uh, that this is how it is but mainly this is what you what what you are asked about right um and since seven years I'm in Germany, I'm almost like every, every every week, every couple of days, I'm asked to to write a text about this and that. How did you come to Germany? And and just like I think last week there was an exhibition um, in Berlin where they used a, an old poem of mine talking about the um, uh, trip, the journey of my mother. Uh, over the sea coming to Europe. So it's still it's still uh, attractive. It's still um, interesting. It's still, I also would say, sexy. I don't know how, right. how long this trend will, will, uh, will keep um, there, but until now, it's like this. And, and I think this is one of the main reasons why I need to think, am I really a good writer? to be translated or to be existed in the literature scene or it's because of the embassy and the, um, yeah, the charity, I would say. So uh, I saw in, in some interview that you had said that there were a community of maybe 150 Arabic language writers in Berlin and maybe more since I think more than a year. Is, in Germany, okay. Do you see it as a community or... Um, no, not do really. You, do you feel part of it? 
Um, and it, it sh- do you wish it were more like a community? I saw one in one place you suggested that you would like to see a league or a union of Arabic language writers yeah. um, in Germany, which sounds like a fantastic idea. Yeah, but also it sounds like a um, uh, YouTubian <laughs> <laughs> maybe <laughs> way of of looking at it. Yeah, I mean it's um yeah it's a fantastic idea, but actually it's not like this in reality. Um, there is a lot of cultural worker writers, uh, poets uh, from Arabic background, but the problem that we are, and this is my interpretation, this is my explanation, and doesn't need to be right uh, or truth, but this is what I think. Oh, what I, I mean, this is my observing. We are coming from a defeating society. Mm. Uh, defeated society. Defeated, yeah. yeah. And uh, this defeating is, uh, or this defeat is is there. Is not we cannot avoid it. Not only in the in the cultural way, but also in the in the. Um, social uh, political uh, on all levels we are we are defeated somehow and this kind of uh, defeatness created somehow a way of looking at this uh, at life uh, which if you are a successful person that means i'm i'm a loser so if you succeed that means i'm a failure so mm. we don't really cooperate with each other we don't um Work in a way that you can you can create a league or association or scene or community of writers. It's um, individual surviving, and mm. this individual surviving is still at that level. It can't it can't develop it can't develop and it can't create much um, much better situation. So if you if you met someone who had just come as a newly arrived writer maybe from Egypt or maybe somewhere else like Cote d'Ivoire or something. And they said, how, how do I survive as a writer here in Berlin? How, uh, is there anything you would tell them? Oh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't survive as a writer. But <laughs> it's, it's difficult. It's difficult. It's not easy. I mean, of course, um, there is some, some places where, um, where you could go and uh, you could show your work and work with, there's a lot of transla- very good translators actually working and mm. they are really for, for a long time, they are working on the Arabic literature just before before this wave of, um, of us coming to Germany. But in general, um, it's like when, when I go to the US, I mean, it's not, it's not something easy. I need contact, I need uh, publishers who are interesting, interested in, in what I'm writing about, and they are interested in general in the Arabic literature, which is also not something common, because mm. um, the interest in the Arabic literature is not really high. It's um, rarely you could find some publishers who are interested in it. And they are much more interested in different things. They are, I mean, if, if the author was published already in English, then we consider it because, okay, then if, if, if the American did it or the, the British did it, then okay, we can survive. We, we can take the risk. But without right. this, it's, um, it's very difficult. And um, of course, I was lucky to, to be in contact with, um, with uh, translators, but also with German writers mainly who, who were... In the scene, they were um, in co- contact with publishers, uh, in, in festivals, 
And I think this kind of working together would would give you the first steps and then you can prove yourself. Mm. So so for you, it was first being part of festivals and then it, it was translators showing interest in you. I mean, how, so how did the process work? How how did your work get into translation? Yes, it's absolutely absolutely like this. Um, in the beginning, you get your first translation. I mean, of course, I came with a, with a writer uh, scholarship or residency, right, right. where I already had some one or two or three texts uh, translated, and then it it kind of brings some more interest later on. Mm. But uh, in Berlin is different because in other cities, if if you are in the bubble of the cultural scene, if you are not, then you are outsider and you will stay outsider. It's a very closed scene, it's a very closed bubble. And Berlin mm. is different. There is much more bubbles, I would say, but also there is the possibility to create your own bubble. Um, and I think I, I personally I have worked in this um, two ways uh, together. Later on, I mean, I, I founded the first Arabic newspaper and then the, the cultural bilingual uh, magazine, Fan, And then the festival, uh, which is Arabic-German Literature Days, um, it was a project where equally putting uh, together Arabic author, Arabic language author, not Arab mm. author, Arabic language author with German language author. Uh, putting them on stage together uh, with translation, translation, some work of both of them, uh, let them discuss it. And uh, actually, we were succeeded for two um, for two years. I mean, of course, before before COVID comes. <laughs> right. And it- really, we, we had really um, a high level of authors from the two languages. Um, and it was really, I mean, I was talking with the people who were here in Germany before us with translators who have worked with Arabic literature since a long time. And they had said to me, this thing didn't happen before. And this is the first time we can see something successful and some interest in the Arabic literature. Mm. So it's it's not coming from a charity point of view. It's not coming from an orientalistic point of view, but it's coming from really uh, exchanging ways of uh, seeing literature and yeah, literature itself. And that's why you wanted to have German authors together with Arabic language authors ex- ex- as, as an exchange rather than uh, Arabic language authors, you know, on panels about, I don't know, what is it like to be a refugee? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Because it's always like this. It's always um, that is kind of up to down way. Mm. And this is, of course, related to the Orientalism since a long time, but also to the colonial history, but also from um, a lot of um, Arabic-speaking uh, people who really look down to up <laughs> in a way that, oh, wow, we need to be translated in German because mm. this is, or even in English, I mean, because German authors are much better, English authors are much better. So, I mean, this history right, created right. somehow this kind of... Um, looking at yourself in a uh, lower uh, position, I would say. Yeah. And I think this has, has to be changed. Mm. And, and putting authors together on a platform was one of your ways of, of doing that? Yes, one of the ways. Yes, mm. of course. Yeah. And, and so what, creating FEN was also a way of creating a new bubble, or why did you want to launch the magazine? Because there is a lack. 
first of all. Mm. There is um, much less uh, Arabic literature and art translated and presented in the German scene. Uh, we personally have read German literature and translation back home in our countries. We have read all the classics somehow. But the other way around wasn't uh, wasn't available. Mm. And uh, I think one of the missions is to put some uh, kind of balance to the, to the scene. On the other hand, we have no um, recent translation of German literature. We don't know about the, um, the contemporary authors, the, the, the mm. authors who are writing now. Most of the authors I've met here, I've been on stage with, I've worked with, um, I didn't hear about them before. Mm. And uh, I think this is something we miss and something we need to understand. And also out of out of a curiosity of a literary way that um, see other authors how they think, how they see the, the the literature, how they describe it, how which kind of development have been happening since we we have read the classics. Uh, I mean, of course, if you look at the German scene. Um, and ask them about Arabic author. They they know, uh, of course, Mahmoud Darwish and Adonis. Yeah, right. And uh, they know Ibn Arabi, and they know uh, maybe some older or poets, but uh, none of the young generation, none of the people who are really investing and creating a totally new uh, voices. They know Ibn Arabi though. I'm a little um, bit not surprised. All, not all of them. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, it's, okay. a, it's a surprise, but it's not a surprise also. I mean, because, right, I mean, right. yeah, I mean, you cannot just generalize. I mean, if a lot of people are interested in Sufism. And, um, sure, I mean, sure. I was, I was really amazed when, when Monica Link was uh, telling me about him in Arabi and we're discussing it. That it was really impressive. So we're kind of coming at the, at the end of our time, but I would like to just ask one last question about how COVID has changed the situation for, for writers, especially non-German writers in, in Germany, and whether you think any of these changes will be permanent or whether you're hoping that once the COVID lockdowns are over, things will go back to how they were before. Well, people uh, are changed, of course, but I mean, now the lockdown is, is kind of getting loose. Mm. And uh, some stuff are, are happening again. I have reading in the 2nd of uh, September. And uh, I start receiving invitation again. Um, uh, the, 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 the cultural houses started making events. Of course, they were doing online before, which right. doesn't, doesn't feel right, doesn't feel like real. Uh, now it's again um, personal. I mean, of course, with some... Um, uh, like the corona test and vaccination and uh, distances but uh, yeah stuff are coming back to life again I'm not sure if it will be back like what used to be so called normal uh -huh. but uh, I mean yeah I can see the change now I can see also like the the wish and the will for of the people to to get rid of all of this kind of stress and, um, yeah, the pressure, I would say, the lockdown has forced. Mm. So I, I, thank you. We've we come to the end of our time. I just want to thank you so much for, for joining us today and, and for sharing some of your thoughts. Um, thank you. 
All right. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Literature Across Frontiers podcast. You can hear more episodes from the series by subscribing to follow the Literature Across Frontiers podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Feel free to rate the podcast and give us a review, especially if it's going to be a five-star one. Please also help us raise awareness about the Literature Across Frontiers podcast through your social media accounts. And finally, I'd like to thank the Creative Europe Programme of the European Union for making this interview series possible with their support.